So we're up to the second paragraph of Shema, where we've had a long hiatus now. We turn to page 92 or 93 in the Hebrew, or 93 in the English. So what we've discussed until now is that the first, we discussed the idea that the Shema is about accepting, accepting upon yourself the yoke of heaven. We discussed the idea that the different concepts that we're trying to encompass in the first paragraph of Shema in terms of how our love for Hashem should, should span everything and should warrant us being willing to do anything at all for Hashem, right? We haven't yet discussed the mitzvahs per se. We've only been talking about the actual concept of accepting the yoke of heaven, that the Torah is the word of God. We have tefillin, we have mezuzah. Why do we focus on those two mitzvahs in the first paragraph, right? Specifically Torah and mezuzah. I'm sorry, tefillin and mezuzah. Because those are mitzvahs that are with us at all times. Those are mitzvahs that are a constant reminder of the special, unique relationship that we have with Hashem. Okay? But we haven't talked about what we do mitzvahs in general category of mitzvahs. We've only discussed the fact that we accept upon ourselves the yoke of heaven. Okay, So with the next paragraph, we're going to be talking more about, in, in some ways, more specific, in some ways, more general. Because in the first paragraph, it's a very individual addressing. addressing right? The first paragraph is written in the singular. Right? You shall love God. But if you look at the Hebrew, you know, in, in English, you can be plural or singular, right? It could be a mass of people or it could be one individual person and you say you. But in the Hebrew, it's more specific. And in the Hebrew, it is clear that it's referring to individual you and not plural you, okay? So that's one point. It becomes more general in the second paragraph. On the other hand, it becomes more specific in the second paragraph because we're focused not on the on love for Hashem, accepting the yoke of heaven. We're now we're focused on love for the mitzvot accepting the yoke of the mitzvot. So I want to, oh, I didn't share my screen. Let me share my screen and I'll share the source sheet as well. Okay. So the first source that we have, I'm, I'm going to share the, in the chat box. Okay. So the first source that we have is like this. It's a Gemara in Brachot. And the Gemara tells us, Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha said, why in the midst of the recitation of Shema did the portion of Shema precede that of Ahaya im Shemaya? Okay. If it would have been the opposite direction, we could have asked the question in the opposite direction, right? In the Torah, we don't find these three paragraphs in one place. These are three paragraphs taken from different places of the Torah, different chapters. So why the specific order? So Rabbi Yeshua ben Karcha says, the answer is, this is so that one will first accept upon himself the yoke of the kingdom of heaven, the awareness of God and God's unity, and only then accept upon himself the yoke of the mitzvot, which appears in the paragraph of the Haya in Shemoah. Okay, so when, when you're trying to figure out the order, the order has to be that first you accept upon yourself that God exists, that there is only one God, that God cares about everything that happens in this world, right? Then you can accept upon yourself the yoke of the mitzvot. Why is that so crucial, right? You know, so in, in, our, in our 19 letters, we, we've been discussing this for a while now in terms of understanding the, the, the crucial connection between the fact that God commanded us to do the mitzvah and that that's why we do the mitzvah, right? As opposed to we do the mitzvah because it's rational, we do the mitzvah because it's ethical, because it's nice, because it makes me feel good. That's not why we do a mitzvah. We do the mitzvah because Hashem commanded us to do the mitzvah. But first, before we say that, you have to say, I accept God. If you don't accept God, you can't go to the next step. So, of course, the first thing that we do is accept upon ourselves the yoke of the mitzvah. And then we, I'm sorry, the yoke of heaven. Then we go to the yoke of the mitzvah. So, we're up to the second paragraph, and we read, 
And it will come to pass that if you continually hearken to my commandments that I command you today. Now, it says something interesting. If you continually hearken to my commandments, it doesn't say to the commandments, it says my commandments, right? It doesn't have to say my commandments, it can say the commandments. It'll be pretty clear in context what we are referring to when we say the. So why does the Torah emphasize my commandments, right? So Rav Schwab wants to say that the reason is because the only reason why we really do a mitzvah is because Hashem commanded us to do a mitzvah. No other reason. When you start getting confused and think to yourself, now I understand the reason why Hashem commanded us to do the mitzvah. Now it's better for me to do the mitzvah. It's actually sometimes worse because you lose sight of the fact that ultimately we do the mitzvah because Hashem commanded us to do the mitzvah. He uses a good example. He says it, pe people can debate and try to figure out why exactly gravity is what it is. Why does gravity work the way it works, right? People can debate about that. And they could have different reasons and different theories, right? It's still, still not known for sure. But it doesn't make a difference what your debate comes out with ultimately because the fact of the matter is you deal with the law of nature. And the law of nature is gravity exists. And so too, on a different level, when it comes to doing a mitzvah, we do the mitzvah because Hashem told us to do the mitzvah. Whether or not we understand that doesn't make a difference. Okay? The idea of recognizing that the reason why we do a mitzvah is only because Hashem tells us to do the mitzvah is very difficult, right? It's, 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 it's not so difficult in theory, it's difficult in reality. And especially difficult because ultimately, there's really another element of ourselves that part of the reason why we want to do a mitzvah is because we also know that there is a reward for it. And part of the reason why we don't want to do an avera is because we want to avoid the punishment, right? There's a famous story said over with the Vilna Gayan, Rabbi Elijah Kramer, Rabbi Leo Kramer, who lived in Vilna in the 1700s. Brilliant, brilliant individual, very, very holy Jew, a very big um, expert in all of the, the written Torah, all of the revealed Torah, and especially in all of the hidden Torah as well. He was a very big Kabbalist as well. People don't associate him with Kabbalah because he was a famous um, opponent of early Hasidic movement. And the Hasidim, who seem to be more associated with Kabbalah, people assume, well, if the Vilna Gain was against Hasidism, at least in the early version, then presumably he also would be against Kabbalah, but he actually was a tremendous Kabbalist as well. And the story goes that there was one Sukkot, and there was a fellow who came to Shul, and he had a beautiful, beautiful esrog, right? You know, so today we, we spend a decent amount of money for an esrog, and we get beautiful esrogim. You know, you get, actually, some come from California, right near Yosemite. There's a big orchard. I'm um, thinking about going down there next year to try to pick one out myself. But so we, we, we buy our little of an esrog and it comes from Israel, wherever it comes from, it's shipped beautifully, it's packaged beautifully, everything is nice. When they were living in Poland, right, in October in Poland, there are no esrogim. Guess what? There's no esrogim in Poland at any time of the year, right? There's no lulavim in Poland. There's Maybe there's aravos, but that's about it, right? Hadassim don't even grow there. So they don't have the same shipment services that we have today. So when they had a little of an esrog, they would buy a couple of love and esrog when they were ugly and shriveled up by the time they actually got there. So one year, the Vilna Gain comes into Shul on Sukkot and he sees that someone has a beautiful little of an esrog, right? Mind you, it probably wasn't half as nice as the cheapest ones that we get today, but it was the nicest one in town. So the Vilna Gain goes over to him and says, I really would like to be able to use your love of an esrog because it's so beautiful. He says, I'll make you a deal. You can use the little of an esrog, but I get the schar, I get the reward for the mitzvah that you do today by, using, by shaking the little of an esrog. So the Vilna Gayan said, thank you so much. I really appreciate this deal. But then I'm like, what do you mean? He said, 
my whole life, I've always wanted to do a mitzvah where the only reason why I do it is just because Hashem told me to do it. But it's, every time I do a mitzvah, I, it's inescapable that I'm also going to get reward for this mitzvah. But now for the first time, I'm going to do a mitzvah where there will be no reward because it's going to go to you. I'm only doing the mitzvah because Hashem commanded me to do the mitzvah. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Right? That's a very high level. But that's ultimately has to be the reason why we do a mitzvah. Okay. Now, there are different categories of mitzvot. There are some mitzvot that we can actually fulfill ourselves. And there are other mitzvot that we cannot fulfill ourselves, that we can only learn about them. For example, anything related to the, to the Beis HaMikdash, right, to the temple, we can't actually do today, right? And even if the temple was around, if you're not a Kohen, you can't bring certain, you can't be involved in bringing the karban, right? The sacrifices. That being said, the way that we fulfill that mitzvah to the best of our abilities will be through learning about that mitzvah. When we learn about that mitzvah, that is the greatest fulfillment of that mitzvah. It's not possible to actually execute it today. Anything that it is possible to execute, we actually have to execute properly or else we haven't fulfilled that mitzvah. Okay? So what happens is like this. We said, first, you accept upon yourself the yoke of heaven. You then need to recognize that the reason why we do a mitzvah is because Hashem commanded us to do a mitzvah. It is mitzvah sai, my mitzvahs. Then what we read is, what's next? To love Hashem, your God, and to serve him with all your heart and with all of your soul. Okay? Rashua points out there's a very clear progression over here. First, we learn the Torah. Then, right, and that's in the first paragraph. Then we do the mitzvahs. And when we do the mitzvahs, then we will develop a love of Hashem, right? So oftentimes there is this concept of the way that I develop a love is through understanding or recognizing a special relationship, right? So how do I develop a love of Hashem, which is the highest level of service? I need to think about Hashem. That's true, that, that is helpful. But the greatest way to ever love someone is to do something for them, right? There's a famous idea that is discussed in uh, the Mikhtam Eliyahu, the writings of Rabbi uh, Eliyahu um, Dessler, who lived in, uh, originally from Lithuania. He lived in England for many years, and then he became the mashkiach, the spiritual advisor in the yeshiva in Israel called Panovich in B'nai Brak. I think he passed away in the early 1950s. So he writes a beautiful idea. He says, how do you develop love for someone else, right? What happens is when someone is head over heels, that's not love, that's infatuation. How do you develop love, a deep abiding love? The way you develop love is by doing something for that individual, right? By doing things, by either acts of service, whatever you want to call it, by giving to that individual, whatever that might mean, whatever sort of way that person um, appreciates being given to. When you do that, you are developing love for them. They don't develop the love for you because you're doing something for them. You develop a love for them because you did something for them. That is the way Hashem created us, right? The, a little bit counter to what we might have thought at first glance, right? The person who is being acted upon is the one who's de developed the love. He says, maybe, but the bigger one is the one who's actually doing the act, okay? When we do the mitzvahs of Hashem, because Hashem commanded us to do so, it changes who we are fundamentally. It also changes the way we appreciate, the way we approach, the way we connect to Hashem. The ultimate goal of life is to have dvekos, is to have a connection, a deep connection to Hashem. Well, first you learn the Torah, then you do the mitzvot, and then you develop the love of Hashem. 
It's a natural progression, right? It comes because you learned the Torah, because you did the mitzvot, the love of Hashem automatically counts, okay? Now, the second part, the first paragraph, as I said before, is addressing the individual. Second paragraph is addressing the tzibur, is addressing the entire community, okay? Can I ask something about the, the love thing? Yeah. So when you do something, sometimes it makes you feel I mean, if somebody is dependent on you and you need to do certain things for them and you want to help them, sometimes it, it, it actually develops resentful versus love. So, um, you know, maybe people, when they do the mitzvah, they will not actually love. They will feel that they are obliged to do that. Right, right. And that's a good point, right? If they feel coerced in that relationship, then they're not going to feel good about it. They just feel forced into something and they get frustrated and, and, and repressed emotions. And that's not healthy at all, of course. So I think, I think it does have to come from a sense of I'm not forced to do this, right? I have the choice to do this. And the reason why I'm doing this is because I, I crave a relationship with that individual. You're right. You're right. So when, when uh, the example I give to students, in, whether high school or college students, is when, when your mom says you got to wash the dishes, right? You wash the dishes not out of a great love, or right? you don't feel good about it either. You feel like you're forced to do it. It doesn't feel great, right? And, and doesn't, after you finish, it hasn't, you haven't developed a closer relationship. The dishes are clean, though. Your mother's happy, right? So what happens is like this, though. And let's say it's Mother's Day and you want to do your mother a favor. And you say, you know what? You don't even tell her anything. But while she's still in bed, you go downstairs and you wash all the dishes, right? Now you just did it out of an act of love. And then you actually liked doing it. You felt good about yourself, right? So you're right. If someone feels coerced, it's not going to develop the same way when they're doing something with someone else, right? But if someone is not coerced, right? And if, someone, if someone's wife says, you better buy me something for, my, for our anniversary. And here's the thing that I want you to buy me. And this is how much it's going to cost. And, and you go buy it for me right now. It doesn't feel that great, right? But if the, if the husband's buying it, because he wants to buy it. And even if the wife tells him what to buy, it's just a, a completely different idea, right? So I think we mentioned it last week. I think we mentioned the, the Svornu. I think we mentioned the idea. Or maybe that was two weeks ago. I can't remember anymore. But the idea that when we think about the mitzvos, right, th there's different ways we can perceive the mitzvos, certainly. But the very first mitzvah in the Torah is actually the mitzvah of you must eat from all of the other fruits in the Garden of Eden, right? The very first mitzvah in the Torah is not you should not eat from the fruit of the tree of life. It is, you must eat from the fruit of the garden, other fruits in the garden of Eden, right? The Maharal explains, what's the idea? The idea is that the Yetzir Hara, right? The Nachash, the Yetzir Hara in the second paragraph, in the second chapter in Bereshus, he comes and he says to Chava, you're not, you're not allowed to eat from that fruit the, of the tree of uh, life. Of the, I'm sorry, of the tree of knowledge of good and bad. And Chava's response is, well, Hashem actually said we may eat from all the other trees. That was the wrong answer. It's not that we may eat from all the other trees. It's that we must eat from all the other trees. The difference being like this. When you understand that the commandments are for your own good and for your own benefit and for you to enjoy life properly with the boundaries in our lives that will enable us to enjoy life properly, when you understand that, then all the mitzvahs become not a burden, but a privilege, Right? When you have that perspective, which is the true perspective, that is the way we're supposed to look at it. But the Yetzirah constantly, constantly wears us down, like water on rock, and says, hey, listen, guys, this is a burden. This is an obligation. This is not fun. 
you could be having so much more fun if you were on Instagram. Look at everybody else on Instagram on Shabbos. You were sitting at home and having and having a meal that wasn't even hot food, maybe because it was Shabbos day and you only had chalent that was hot. And all your friends were off on, uh, in Hawaii having a party, right? And a rainforest in Hawaii, right? That Yetzirah says, this is not fun, right? But what the, the real answer, of course, is that everything that we do in life is part of the fact that Hashem loves us and gave us these commandments. It, it is a paradigm shift. But when the paradigm shift is achieved, then it's no longer coercion. It's no longer obligation, no longer burden. But of course it is. I'm doing this because Hashem loves me. And then every time I do an act, I am developing a deeper love for Hashem. Yeah? Okay. So, fine. So then we read it like this. So we said, you will come to love Hashem and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Okay. So what does it mean to serve Hashem with your soul? What does that mean even? What does it mean to serve Hashem with your soul? Right? So previously what we said is, you shall love Hashem, your God, in the previous chapter, previous paragraph. We said, love Hashem, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your resources. We defined soul over there as being your Yetzar Hara and your Yetzar Tov. Now we are saying that to serve Hashem with all of your heart and all of your soul. Okay? So what does it mean to serve Hashem? So we said to love Hashem, that was one thing. But to serve Hashem seems like a different point. So the Gemara actually comes to explain what this means. So let's look now at source number at source number two, oh, source number three, I'm sorry. So the Gemara asks a question, right? How do we know that you need to daven to Hashem? You need to pray to God. So the Gemara answers, as it was taught in a Braitha with regard to the verse, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart, right? Quoting, quoting this verse, which is the service of God that is performed in the heart? You must say that this is referring to prayer, okay? So we have an obligation to serve Hashem through prayer. Now, can you only pray in your heart? Is that sufficient to only pray in your heart? No, you can't only pray in your heart. You need to speak out the words. You need to articulate. You need to verbalize the words. Not enough just to think it, to feel it. You have to speak it out. However, to speak it out like an automaton, unknowing, unthinking, unfeeling, you haven't really fulfilled the mitzvah either. So the true mitzvah of davening, of praying to Hashem, is to speak to God and through speaking to God to develop a closer relationship with God. But the closer relationship, of course, is going to be completely built foundation on your heart because your heart is where you're going to develop that deeper relationship. It's not going to be your words. It's not going to be your mouth. It's going to be in your heart. But you use your mouth to articulate the feelings that you should be having inside. So what the verse is teaching us here is that we have to serve Hashem with our heart, which means the mitzvah of davening to Hashem. Okay. Now, when we approach Hashem, we have a, an interesting um, idea. We have an idea when we approach Hashem, we approach Hashem as a child. We, we speak to Hashem as Avinu Malkeinu, our father, our king. When we're in a good relationship with God, when our behavior is commensurate, is appropriate with what it should be, and we're living up to our capacity, potential, then we deal with Hashem as if he is our father. When our behavior is not where it should be, not, not doing what we should be doing on a regular basis, then instead of dealing with Hashem as a father, we deal with him as a king. The relationship is different. Okay? So that is true. That is how we speak to Hashem. However, there is an element of this that it is more difficult to speak to Hashem as an individual than it is to speak to Hashem as a group. And that's why in the second paragraph, we transitioned from individual addressing God to 
community addressing God, to the plural you, multiple you. Why is that? Because when you're addressing Hashem as a group, then you will be listened to. How do we know this? So look at source number four. Torah tells us, Ki mi goy gadol lo Elohim, krovim elav Eloheinu v'chol elav. Right? Incredible. What great nation is there that has this deep, deep relationship with Hashem, that he is immediately so close to them. Whenever we call upon him, he is right there. Okay? So we have this ability to call upon Hashem as a community, and he is right there. Now, we know that once a year, you know, the 10 days of Aseret made Teshuvah, the 10 days of repentance, even as individuals, we call upon Hashem and he is there. But typically, we need to call upon Hashem as a group. And that's why when we start talking about prayer, we need to talk about a group praying. That being said, I just want to tell you a quick story I heard this week. Um, uh, Rachel Imenu, right? Uh, Rachel's, uh, Rachel's yard site, right? Her day of death is Yud Aleph Cheshvan, which I believe is probably Sunday or Monday, right? On the 11th day of Cheshvan. Now, anybody ever been to Keva Rachel in Bethlehem? No? She reads, you've never been there? Alana, how about you? I told you the first time that I went to Marat Machpelah was this, you know, last week, month. Oh my gosh, wow. But, 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 but Keva Rachel, people go to because it's so, it's so close to, to Yerushalayim. It's like right there. Wow. But Alana, it's, uh, it's in the no, territory. <laughs> I haven't been. Oh, it's, yeah, yeah. It's I mean, the, I grew up in the north, so. And it's an Palestinian, excuse. right? It's Palestinian. You can't really go there, I think. Oh, you absolutely could go there. They have, they have buses going there at all hours of the day, armored buses. There's a tremendous uh, police presence there. It's a, it's a pr- relatively safe place, right? Um, well, yeah, you have to go. Everybody has to go. Okay, fine. Either way. The, next the, time, next time I go to Israel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully yeah. next year. <laughs> I mean, I mean, so hopefully we'll all go next year, at least at least this year, maybe. But yeah. So um, the the idea is like this. There's a famous midrash that tells us that Rachel Imenu, that Rachel is Mivaka um, Albaneha, that when they go out to exile, Rachel is crying for her sons, right? Rachel is considered to be very effective at davening. The midrash says that Everybody comes to Hashem. Avram comes to Hashem and says, and says, why are you sending them out to Galut? This is not fear. They're going out to exile. They have to come back. And Hashem says, I'm not listening to you. Next, Yitzchak, Yaakov. Everybody's crying to Hashem. Everybody's davening. I'm not listening to you. Rachel comes and says to Hashem, it's true that they brought rivals into their house, that they brought idols into their house, right? Because we got kicked out of the first place of Mikdash because of idol worship. And we're getting sent into exile. It's truly brought idols into their house. And it's understandable that you're furious with them, God. However, I also brought a rival into my house. I brought my own sister into my house. I brought her in even before I got married. She got married to my husband first. And I helped facilitate that. I was willing to do that. Please forgive them. And Hashem says, okay, I forgive them. And that's why the exile then ends after, after the 70 years. So we have this concept that Rachel Imenu, Rachel, our mother, davens for us and and, uh, and cries for us, Hashem listens. There was a great rabbi, his name was Rav Chaim Shmulevitz. Rav Chaim Shmulevitz is my father's teacher, uh, was my father's teacher because he's no longer alive. He was a, a Lithuanian Jew. He went to the yeshiva called Yeshivas Mir, right? The Mir in, in, is, in, uh, is in Mir, which is a place in Russia. And he escaped from Russia together with the entire yeshiva to Shanghai, China, right? Where they, they were for the entire, um, for basically five years in, in World War II. Okay. Then later he went to Israel and he was the, the head of the yeshiva in, in Jerusalem. 
Rebchaim Shmulevitz. was a huge Talmud Chacham, a huge Torah scholar, a huge, what we call a Baal Musser. He was wonderful at helping people develop themselves, character development, self-development, improvement. He also was what we call a, uh, a very emotional, a very deeply feeling individual. And he used to go to Kevar Rachel pretty often to daven for other people. And one day, story goes, he went to daven to Hashem in the Kevar Rachel because he felt like this was an appropriate place to sort of harness the power of tefillah and for people who are sick. And he's driving down there and... Um, He's, someone's driving him and he's crying in the car, thinking about all the different people who are suffering and bringing him their, their suffering and, and just trying to you know, have a sense of consolation or alleviate their pain by having this great man you know, tell them you know, he's going to daven for them and tell them you know, things will be better. And so they go down to Kevar Rachel and he's davening and he's crying and crying and crying the whole time. And in the middle, he says, he says out loud with people around him, he says, based on a, a verse in the prophets where Hashem tells Rachel, do not cry, Rachel. And he says in Yiddish, he says, Mama, right? Mama means mommy, right? He says, Mama, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem had said that you should not cry, but Mama, vine, vine. He says, Mommy, please cry, please cry. I need you to cry for these people. Okay, they finished davening. They're on the car on the way home. And a student turns to him and says, Rebbe, um, can I ask you a question with all due respect? Hashem told Rachel, not to cry. You're telling Rachel that you should cry. Like, what, what, what do you think? Like, that's not such a, uh, you're contradicting Hashem. Like, what are you doing? So he says, you have to understand. Hashem is Rachel Imenu's father. And as a father, he can say, don't cry. I'm going to take care of it. I got this on, in my, I, I, I'm in control. I have control over this. He said, I am a son of Rachel Imenu. A son is allowed to tell his mother, I want you to cry for me. Right? That's a different relationship, right? So that is an individual who's harnessing the power of tefillah as an individual, who is addressing Rachel as his mother, literally as his mother, which is true, who was addressing Hashem as his father. That's a very high level. That's what love can do for you. That's when you develop a love for Hashem. That's how we address Hashem. But oftentimes, we don't have that great level of love, right? So then the way that we address Hashem is very much affected by the fact that we're coming as part of a community, as part of this nation that has this ability to address Hashem on a personal level, that Hashem listens to what we are calling out. Okay, so that's the that's the 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 idea of why we're switching to the to the plural in the second paragraph. Okay, I want to I want to show you that this mitzvah of davening is actually a positive commandment according to the Rambam. It's a positive commandment on a daily basis. So the Rambam tells like this. This is the Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Maimonides. To pray daily is an affirmative duty, as it is said, and you shall serve the Lord your God. The service here referred to, according to the teaching of tradition, is prayer, as it is said, and to serve him with all your heart. So it says, it says, We understand based on the tradition, Shmua, the way that we heard, the way that we've accepted, we understand that this avoda is a tefillah. How do we know? Prayer. Because it says, as we just read, And what did, the, what did Chazal, what did the sages say? What may be described as service of the heart? Prayer. So a, according to the Ramam, there's a positive commandment to pray every day. The number of prayers is not prescribed in the Torah. No form of prayer is prescribed in the Torah. Nor does the Torah prescribe a fixed time for prayer. It doesn't say in the Torah how many times a day, what the prayer should look like. 
who should be praying. It doesn't say anything of that. So is prayer, I ask you, is davening to Hashem, is that what we would call a mitzvah asesha, as man grama, a positive time-bound commandment? Or is it a mitzvah asesha, or is it a positive not time-bound commandment, right? So clearly it is not a positive time-bound commandment. It is a positive non-time-bound commandment, okay? So, which means, what's the consequence of that? Consequence, of course, is that women are also obligated in prayer as well. But what is the, what is, what's the type of prayer? I mean, according to what he says, it's very vague, right? So, you can say whatever you want, right? So, that's where it gets a little interesting. So, on a Torah level, prayer would consist of saying praise, um, praise, thanks, and requests. So that can be very, very simple. That can be, Hashem, thank you so much for the wonderful night of sleep I had. Hashem, this world is just a wonderful, beautiful place. And Hashem, I would like, uh, my breakfast should be delicious. I shouldn't burn my oatmeal today. I don't know, you know, whatever it might be, right? You know, so that technically would qualify as tefillah. The, the idea of tefillah is, remember, the idea of verbalizing, it's really just about what's in your heart. It's really just about trying to develop that relationship. It is human nature that when we verbalize, when we articulate, we develop a greater sense of what we're thinking and it actually affects the way that we think about it, okay? So that's why we actually have to verbalize. But the reality is that the, that the relationship is about developing a sense that God is real, God is here, right? And he's right here with us. Now that's something that's very hard to do. So what, what we need to do is we need to try to um, harness that by thinking of God in these three different ways, by thinking of the fact that Hashem created the world and therefore we're grateful for everything that he has created, right? By thinking of the fact that Hashem cares about me and that's why I say thank you for what happened to me. And by thinking about the fact that everything is in the hands of Hashem. That's why I request what I need. I don't go to my boss to ask for a raise. I mean, of course I do go to my boss for ask for a raise, but I recognize that ultimately, whether I get that raise or not, whether I have the money that I want in my life, is going to be dependent on Hashem. So therefore, I request from Hashem. I do these three things, because through doing these three things, I now have a complete, a comprehensive understanding of what the nature of Hashem is, what the nature of how Hashem affects vis-a-vis -vis my life, right? So on a total level, it, it would consist of those three ideas, okay? The sages, at a later point in time, said that there's a very specific pattern we want you to do. We want you to pray three times a day. The custom is that women, even women who pray daily, typically do not pray three times a day. Typically, they pray twice a day, shachras and mincha. That's assuming that they, women are not obligated in the specific prayers as much as men are. Men are obligated in the specific three prayers. The rabbis obligated men in that. They did not obligate women in those three prayers. They obligated women to pray because that's what the Torah obligates. Okay? So most women, like I said, since women are not obligated as much, typically they find themselves quite busy. And they have duties that are sometimes calling when they don't have the ability to. So therefore, they can't pray exactly when they're supposed to pray. So sometimes they'll only pray once a day. Right? So they'll pray twice a day. Sometimes they'll pray three times a day. Okay. Now let's look at the next source. The next source tells us like this. It's a Gemara in Brachos. And the Gemara says like this. Women, whoops. We also learned in the Mishnah that women, slaves, and children are obligated in prayer. The Gemara explains that although the mitzvah of prayer is only in effect at particular times, which would lead to the conclusion that women are exempt. Nevertheless, since prayer is supplication for mercy and women also require divine mercy, they are obligated. So this Gemara seems to be addressing not the fact that the prayer is not really three times a day prayer. 
The Gemara is not addressing that. The Gemara is addressing even if it would be a three times a day prayer on a Torah level. And even if it were what we would call a mitzvah asesha as man grama, a positive time-bound commandment, women would still be obligated. Why? Because the entire idea of prayer is also to request a, a, a something from Hashem. The women don't need to request from Hashem. Of course they need to request from Hashem. Of course they need this relationship with Hashem. So to say they don't, they don't need to pray because the mitzvah asesha as man grama, a positive time-bound commandment, that makes no sense. However, lest you say, since regarding prayer, it is written, even in the morning and afternoon, I pray and cry aloud and he hears my voice. Perhaps prayer should be considered a time-bound positive mitzvah and woman would be exempt. The Mishnah teaches us that fundamentally the mitzvah of prayer is not time-bound and therefore everyone is obligated. Okay? So therefore, davening is a, a obligation, a, a, a commitment, and a responsibility and a relationship with Hashem that we all merit and we all do every single day and should be doing every single day. Okay, so that's the right? That we serve Hashem with all of our hearts means with the avodah with the service of the heart, which is prayer. Because through that service of the heart, we're going to develop that love for Hashem. So next week, what we're going to learn is Hashem. We're going to learn about the puzzling transition now, because now we start talking about these material blessings, right? We go straight from loving Hashem, the very, very elevated, very high level of, of, of spiritual connection with God. And we go straight from there to the material blessings that will accrue when you do the mitzvahs, right? And we'll also perhaps spend a little bit of time discussing the idea that the Torah never once mentions reward in the world to come. The Torah mentions reward in this world. You'll have a lot of, lots of grain, lots of rain, lots of fat cows. It doesn't mention anything about the fact that you're getting reward in the world to come. So we'll spend some time next week dealing with the idea of what the transition is and why the Torah focuses on the material reward and not the spiritual benefit that will accrue after, after 120. Take yeah. care, everyone. Be Thank well. You. Shabbat shalom. Thank you. Shabbat shalom.